We are going to be in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if, if you're new with us, we are walking through the uh, Ten Commandments, breaking them down, each one of them. And today we are in the third commandment, and it will be helpful to look at it in a Bible. So open up your Bible or open up your app, and let's get rolling here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. It reads this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we get into his word. Father, we do recognize that we are frail human beings and that we need your help. So would you, in your kindness and grace this morning, help us to understand what it means to take your name in vain. Convict us of our sins so that we might see that Jesus is a sufficient Savior and lead us to a place of wanting to honor your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you were born, what was the first thing, or at least one of the first things, that your parent did for you? Pop quiz. Huh? Discipline? <laughs> For you, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> they spanked you as soon as you came out of the womb. Hey, a disciplined child. Don't spare the rod. Okay. Any other suggestions? Fed you? All right, even before they fed you, for many of us, named you. Thank you. Some even before you came out of the womb. Some, your parents knew what they were going to name you three years before you were even born. You got a name. We name things. Maybe you played King of the Hill when you were a kid. Did anybody ever play that game? You fight to the top of the hill? Oh, yeah. You get to the top of the hill? This is what I used to do, at least. I would name it. This is my hill, Mount Kurz. And then somebody would knock me off of the hill and rename it. Humans, for better or worse, conquer lands and name them. We name oceans and lakes. Now that we have the ability to detect storms, we name them. Hurricane Harry and Snowstorm Sally. We name movements, the Great Awakening, Civil Rights Movement, Women's Rights Movement. When I was in middle school, I named my basketball, Willie. <laughs> what is in a name? What's with the human propensity to name everything? Here's why. Here's what we do. You ever thought? I can't hear you. To let others know you own it. So it, ownership, identification, and there's one more that I'm looking for. It starts with an E, and it ends with existence. <laughs> existence. A name signifies that something exists. Now, there's a biblical rationale for all of this. 
In Genesis, God creates light, and he calls it day. And then God makes dark, and he calls it night. God, in Genesis 5, names the two people that he made. He calls them humanity. He makes Adam, and he names man Adam. He creates woman, and Adam names woman Eve. God creates animals, and he looks at Adam, and he says, name them. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, we see that as lands are conquered, those who conquer the land are given the right and responsibility to name it. In Psalm 49, a land which has ownership is signified by the fact that it has a name. Now, as the story of the Bible goes on, the people of God are enslaved in Egypt. And God calls a weak, fumbling man with a speech impediment named Moses to lead his people out of Israel. And God says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses, trembling, says, okay, I'll do that, but what name should I give him? And God says, just tell him I am has sent you. And so with that name, and under that name, Israel walks out of slavery in Egypt, untouched and unharmed. And in this context, while in the wilderness, God gives them the Ten Commandments and says, do not take my name in vain. Now, names, of course, do not create existence. But names acknowledge existence. Names signify existence. Now, to many of us, just like last week, this commandment at first kind of strikes us as odd. What's in a name? So last week, what's, about, what's the big deal with a picture, an image? Today, what's the big deal with a name? Is God, again, is he just being nitpicky? Well, of course not. A name signifies existence. A name signifies your character. Name is synonymous with fame. For example, uh, when, when you grow as a famous person, which I'm assuming all of you will one day become extremely famous, when you become famous, what spreads? It's your, it's your name. All right? And your name is a symbol for all that you are, for all of, your ex of, of the fact that you exist. So first of all, as your name spreads, what that means is that more people know that you exist. Exactly. It communicates your existence, and also it communicates your character. So infamy, which would mean that you are famous for poor character. You're known for poor character. Fame generally means you're known for various reasons. God's name is a symbol. It, it signifies his existence. It represents all that he is, his character. And so to take God, God's name in vain then 
means that we would make light of his existence and we would misrepresent his character. So, what does it mean then to obey this third commandment? Well, let's dive into it. Look at verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord. That word take right there literally means to bear or to carry. Maybe you've seen the movie Rudy back in the day. It was one of my favorite movies, probably still is. It's about a Notre Dame football player. Have you seen it? He's a, he's a, he's a fanatic. At first. He grows up a fanatic. And despite the fact that he is small, despite the fact that he's slow, despite the fact that he doesn't have good grades and would never be able to even get into Notre Dame, his dream is that he would one day be a fighting Irish. Against all odds, Rudy gets into the school. Against all odds, Rudy makes the team. And there's this glorious moment in the movie which would make even non-sports lovers shed at least one single tear. That is this moment where Rudy receives the game jersey, receives the helmet and puts it on. And he runs out onto the field as fast as he can run. You see, when Rudy is wearing the jersey that says Notre Dame, it's much more than just simply consonants and vowels that come together as words. But rather, he is bearing all that Notre Dame represents. He is carrying the weight of the glory of this football team. He's bearing the heritage of fighting Irish football. The character of all that the Notre Dame football squad means to all of their fans. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 10 says that all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by my name. What does it mean to be a Christian? What it means is that we are called by the name of God. That we bear, that we carry the name of God. So then to take the name of the Lord is more than a mere reference for speech. Now, it, it includes speech, and we're going to get into that. But it's much broader than just simply words that we utter. To take the name of the Lord means that we are to be a bearer of the character of God. Meaning before we represent our earthly families, we are representative of our heavenly family's name. Before I represent what curse means to the world, I represent to the world who Christ is. Now this is why church membership is important. Because the church, having the keys of the kingdom is given the responsibility of determining who it is that represents the name of God. Yet, as we have seen throughout history, the church has, all, has, has often failed in representing God well to the world. For hundreds of years, white Christians failed to represent God's desire for unity in diversity. Christian neighbors who failed to represent God's care and love as they participated in family or in neighborhood gossip. You see, the first principle that we can pull from here, what it means then to, uh, to, to obey this third commandment is this, we are to represent His name. 
We are not to misrepresent his name. So let's ask this question. How might we represent God well? First, embrace the true knowledge of God. Embrace true knowledge of God. It was said of idolatrous Israel in Hosea chapter 4 verse 2 that there is no knowledge of God in the land. Now I guarantee you that if you were part of Israel at the time, you would have not made that statement uh, for yourself. You would have not said, yeah, there's no knowledge. You would actually have thought that there was quite a bit of knowledge of God in the land. We are the people of God. So why would God say of idolatrous Israel that there is no knowledge of God in the land? It's because Israel had broken the first and second commandments. They had turned to other gods. They were worshiping God plus a number of other gods. They are then misrepresenting God in the land, and therefore they have no intimate knowledge of who God is. They're essentially lying to the world about who God is. The first instance that this commandment was broken was in the garden when Satan himself asked Eve, did God really say? Twisting the knowledge of God, twisting the representation of God, twisting the character of God. Our church is a statement of faith. It's just simply a document, it's a confession of faith which helps us to know who the the, the God of the Bible is helpful biblical statements which help us to know that when we are worshiping God, that we're worshiping the true God of the Scriptures. Would you describe yourself as someone who is growing in the knowledge of God? Would you describe your life as as a life that is characterized by the knowledge of God? Is your home characterized by a place that is growing in the knowledge of God. If God were to level a charge against you, would it be, they have no knowledge of me? You see, Christianity is an invitation to know God. That's essentially what our faith is. It's an invitation that goes to everybody in this room It's an invitation that goes to everybody in this city and everybody in this world. An invitation to know who God is. Come into this knowledge of God. Come into this intimate union, knowing and receiving all that God is. So one way that we represent God is to embrace true knowledge of Him. Secondly, we obey God. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 9 says, If you keep my commandments... If you keep my commandments, then all the people will see that you bear my name. So in Deuteronomy 28, the way that people would see that we are name bearers, that we are proclaiming, that we are representing God, is if we and when we obey him. A few of us in the church are coaching a couple neighborhood youth in a uh, basketball team, for a basketball team, doing a short tournament. And one thing I love about being around youth who play basketball is when you find that young dude who uh, has got on the fresh shoes, he's got on the right clothes, he's even wearing like some kind of band on his arm, and, uh, and he calls himself a basketball player, and then he gets on the court and you realize he's never actually played basketball in his life. <laughs> right? It's pretty simple in basketball. If you, don't, if you can't play basketball, if you don't play basketball, it doesn't matter what you look like. 
Doesn't matter. You can look like LeBron James, the greatest basketball player ever. You can look like LeBron James. But if you can't play ball, you're a phony, right? Friends, this is the same thing with the Christian life. All right, forgive me for that. I've got to stick to my script here. This is the same thing with the Christian life. Being a Christian is so much more than just looking the part. Being a Christian is so much more than just having our act together. It's so much more than looking and calling, looking like and calling ourselves a Christian, placing that name on us. Being a Christian is a change. Being a Christian is following Christ in all that He commands. You might remember the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't say get people to pray a prayer for salvation. The Great Commission says proclaim the gospel and teach them all that Christ has commanded. To bear the name of Christ, to bear the name of God is so much more than just simply putting that name upon ourselves, but rather it is first knowing and then following the God of this world who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. The second instance that this commandment was taken or was, was disobeyed was when Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan and they disobeyed God. Calling ourselves a person of God means absolutely nothing. And if you're not a Christian, and you have had Christians in your life who have misrepresented the character of God, they have clung to racism, they have clung to pride, they have clung to arrogance. Let me say that I am sorry that we have often failed in representing who God is to you. What is one command that you know right now that you are disobeying? Ask God to fill your heart with love for Him. With love for His great name. With love for His fame. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we change. When you go to work this week, what might it look like to represent the character of God? If a little fly on the wall were to watch your life, would the little fly testify to the fact that you bear the name of God? That you represent the character of God? Over lunch today, maybe while you're sitting and eating with your lunch mates, you might be open and honest and transparent with each other and share one way that you are misrepresenting to the world who God is. So the first way that we, or the first principle we can take from this is first that we represent his name, not misrepresent his name. Secondly, we should hallow his name, not hollow his name. Look back at the text in verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now that word vain right there comes from the word vanity. It's a word that simply means emptiness and nothingness. So to contrast this with the Lord's Prayer, you might remember Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
So here in the Lord's Prayer, uh, we, we, we see that we are to hallow his name, which means that we are to lift it up, that we are to set it apart, that we are to glorify it, that we are to make it famous, that we are to magnify it, that we are to fill it up with all that we are. The other action which we see here is to hallow his name of any meaning. It's to hallow his name, name of any glory. It's to hallow his name of any fame. So what are some common ways which we take God's name in vain? Let me be practical here for just a moment. I'm going to give you five ways that we often take God's name in vain. One would be throw away words. Throw away words. So for instance, oh my God, Jesus Christ, when you, somebody almost hits you, uh, Lord, have mercy. Any term that we use for God and then using that term in just a flippant way, just as we would any, like, just as we would any other word. Now, I know I'm swimming against the stream of popularity here. I think it's popular today to say, well, the third commandment, that doesn't refer to just saying things like, oh my God, right? I think we just say that because we're in bad habits and we want to somehow justify our bad habits. And so we're going to say it's about the heart, it's not about the words. Well, it's also about the words. Using any term for God and hollowing it of its meaning hollowing it of its importance, hollowing it of its glory. I think as a community, we should have gracious and loving conversations with each other and ask ourselves, like, you know, this is, I, I often say this. Do you think that's taking God's name in vain? I think it's a fair conversation for us to have as a church. Now, at the same time, let me say this. Don't think that we can just simply clean up the outside of the glass and we'll be good to go. And see, this is why a lot of us react to that. To, to the old idea of using God's name in vain in just some kind of trite way. Because we have known people who would never dare to say, oh my gee, right? Yet they're living lives as hellions on earth. Lives of absolute hypocrisy. Believing that we can just simply clean up the outside of the glass and that we're good to go. So the name of God being used in vain is so much more than just words. Let's, let's keep on working through some of these. Secondly, hypocritical worship. Worshiping God in a hypocritical way. Amos chapter 5 verse 20, 21 says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies, your worship gatherings stink to me. Why would God level that charge against the people in Amos day? It's because they were breaking the third commandment. It's because they were worshiping God and they were lifting up their hands and they were singing songs to Him using His name and evoking His presence and they, it meant absolutely nothing to them. They were coming with their own desires and with their own agenda evoking the name of God for themselves, acting like a jerk all week in the workplace and then coming to church and, and raising our hands and sleeping with our girlfriend all week and then coming to church and harboring unforgiveness in our heart, constantly unwilling to forgive. So does this mean, though, that we have to be perfect to worship God? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, God requires humility. 
God requires us to come broken. God requires us to come recognizing the fact that we slept with our girlfriend, recognizing the fact that we were harboring unforgiveness, recognizing the fact that we were acting like a jerk in the workplace. Falling on our knees, the very flow of our worship service here begins with silence so that we might examine our hearts and ask ourselves, what is God saying to me today? And then we move on in our flow of worship and we have a time of confession where we can come to God and confess the sins that we have committed, that we know about, and confess the sins that we don't know about. And then we hear the lavishness of God's kindness and grace come upon us through the reading of His Word, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, heals every broken sinner. We come to the table and we say, Jesus is, is, is all I have. Jesus is enough for me. Jesus is sufficient. Without Him, I am, uh, I, I'm broken. And we, and we drink and we eat. You see, the whole act of coming together in worship is, is coming together in humility. It's bowing before the, the majesty of Jesus Christ and seeing that He is indeed for us a glorious Savior. Thirdly, we could break this, and we often may break this through false authority. Evoking God's name just to simply give our feeling, inclination, idea, or statement more authority. For example, a billboard that says, I love you just the way you are, signed God. Or maybe with great intentions. A friend has cancer, and you really want to tell her that everything will be okay, and so to, to make your statement sound authoritative, you say, God told me to tell you everything will be okay. Or maybe some more outright examples. A person who comes in the name of the Lord to promote their own agenda, bringing false authority to themselves. Or a preacher who stands up in the pulpit and says, God gave me a word for you today. And he begins to speak and never actually opens his Bible and talks about his own ideas. False authority. Also, deceiving approval. Deceiving approval. Just as Satan took the name of God in vain as he gave approval of something that God did not give approval toward, we may do the same. We don't approve or disapprove of anything based on what we think or what we feel. We approve and disapprove based on what God thinks. If we were to say that Jesus approves of something that God doesn't approve of, it is a grievous breaking of the third commandment. For-profit commodity. Turning God into nothing more than a moneymaker. A commodity. Jesus at the temple, you might remember this story. He goes in and he starts turning over tables, flipping them. Does anybody remember why? He said, you have turned the house of God into a den of thieves. Why? How did they turn the temple into a den of thieves? Well, they were just simply profiting off of God's name. Under the banner of all that God is, under the banner of His name, they're making a dollar for themselves. So how might we then turn God into a, con a, a, a commodity, number one, if we use His fame 
for our own personal benefit, we are taking his name in vain. If we buy or sell a God that works for me, then we are taking his name in vain. As a church, we must deeply know who God is. We must deeply know the character of God. We must fall into a loving, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, not a commodity. Not a God that is shaped for us. Not a God who merely works for us and not the abstract God of confessional statements. But an intimate relationship with the Creator of this world. You see, family, the law comes first to condemn us. Who of us hearing this can stand up before God and say, yes, I've perfectly followed the third commandment? No, the law comes and it condemns us. It reveals us. It reveals our heart to ourselves. We look in the mirror and we see that we too are sinners. It draws us to our knees and lets us know that we need a sinner, a savior. Turn with me. Well, actually, before we turn there, let me point something out to you in verse 7. You'll see here that there is this big warning attached to this commandment. He says, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Meaning, if we empty God's name of, of uh, all of his character and we make light of his existence, we are, by doing so, admitting the position of our own hearts. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to close here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So here Jesus is saying, not everybody who evokes my name not everybody who calls themselves a Christian, not everybody who cries out, Lord, Lord, in a worship service is going to actually make it, is going to inherit the kingdom of God. He says, only those who do the will of the Father. Now, what, is, what does that mean? Well, we go on in verse 22. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty, many mighty works in your name. So what's he getting at? He's saying not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, only those who do my will. Well, these are people who did some pretty good things. These are people who seem to do the will of God. They're out there loving people. They're feeding people. They're caring for the homeless. They're generous. They're kind. Verse 20, 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We've got to ask this question, what is the will of God? If it's not a bunch of activity, then what is it? John six twenty nine says this. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he sent. You see, God created the world and he named it. He created people and he named them. 
But then God's very creation fell away from His glory. God's creation fell away from His ways. But God in His kindness began to reveal Himself to these people. He revealed Himself to a people and He gave them a name. And under this name, this people was, were, were removed from slavery. And God revealed that there is one coming into the world who will redeem us, not just simply from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin and slavery to death. And that one came and he was named Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. Jesus announced that the kingdom of God is here. It has arrived in all that he is, in the person of Christ. The kingdom of God is a place where we give reverence to the king who rules. Now in a turn of events, the king, Jesus, died for his people. Again, the law comes and it reveals that we are sinners. It reveals that we have broken the law. And any who have broken the law have God's wrath against them. Jesus died in our place taking the wrath that I deserved. Taking the punishment that I deserved. Taking God's judgment upon Himself. And it killed Him. It put Him in the grave. But friends, He did not stay in the grave three days later. He rose from the dead defeating sin, defeating death, defeating the enemy that has been against us since Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And under His name, under His character, in His being, in His fame, what we find is salvation. Jesus, it says, is highly exalted above every other name. God has bestowed on him a name that is above all others. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So what does it mean then to obey the third commandment? What it means is to come to Christ. To come to him on our knees. To come to him and say, I am a sinner and you are a glorious, sufficient, wonderful, gracious, kind Savior. And to find in Him all, the, all, all that He is, all that we need. To find our identity in Him. To find our name in Him. In a dictatorship, a dictator demands reverence merely uh, at, at an external level. And people then give reverence to the name of a dictator not out of love. But in God's kingdom we find an invitation. We find an invitation to a relationship. We find an invitation to a new life. We find an invitation to meaning. We find an invitation to bear the character of God in this world and to represent Him. Turn to Christ. He is a merciful Savior. Flee to Him this morning. Run to Him and you will find that He lavishes His kindness upon all who come. And right now, as we come to Christ, what we find is a new name. A new name, as the old song said, that is written down in glory. A new name for us means that we have a new existence in Christ. We, by God's grace, have new character 
in Christ. God changes our hearts. God fills our hearts with love for His glory and for His fame. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and we represent His character to the world around us. God is making His name famous to all of the globe through a people. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the fact that You have found us, that You have redeemed us, You have saved us, You have given us a new name, a new existence, You have called us by the name of Your very own Son that we are representatives of Him in this world. God, we thank You for the fact that Your law doesn't just simply leave us trying to be better, but uh, while Your law condemns us, the Gospel comes and the Gospel lavishes us in Your grace and in Your mercy and gives us a new existence. Help us to be faithful. Help us to proclaim to the world through word and deed all that Jesus is. It's in His name we pray. Amen.